Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins is brought to you by James H. Brown and Associates, Alberta's precedent-setting injury lawyers. Okay. 4-2 Calgary leading Los Angeles into the first period to Foley, the latest goal there for the Flames. They get four goals on nine shots against the Kings. Kings are here on Wednesday to play the Oilers. Six o'clock face-off show on 6.30, Chad. Game will start at 8. Hurricanes out to a 2-0 lead against Chicago. Second period just started there. And no score with about six minutes left in the first between the Blues and the Avalanche. A final from earlier. Islanders knock off the Senators 4 Two Noah Dobson with a goal in that game. He now has five on the season. The uh, Raptors in the final 10 seconds lead the Pistons 113-111. And late in the first half, a minute 39 to go, Washington leads Philadelphia 17-14 in Monday Night Football. The Eagles are 8-0 and on the season. Washington coming in at 4-5. and So the, so far, the Commanders giving the Eagles all that they can handle. The Oilers sit there with a record of 9-7. and They are fourth of the Pacific Division. Vegas is first, Los Angeles is second, and the Seattle Kraken are currently sitting in third place with a pretty decent record of eight, five, and three, perhaps one of the early season surprises to discuss that. And who knows what else? We welcome back to the program, play-by-play voice for the Kraken. It is Everett Fitzhugh checking in. Everett, you're on with Reed. How have you been, sir? Hey, Reed, I'm doing well. I know that I'm talking to uh, a bunch of, of Raptors fans, but I'm hoping that my Pistons can pull this out in the next 10 seconds. I'm a Detroit man, and uh, it's been some lean years on the hardwood in Detroit, so I forgot we were even playing uh, the Raps tonight. <laughs> uh, well, it's uh, now over, and it's 115-111 right, for Toronto, so I think that puts ah. the Pistons down to 3-12. and 12. I am sorry, sir. 12, I, didn't, yeah. I, 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 I knew you were from Detroit. I wasn't thinking that, the, that though, that you'd be all over that score. When, I'm sorry, buddy. I'm really sorry. I, <laughs> you didn't beat the Pistons. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> no, I would not be beating anybody in the NBA. That's for sure. No, are you, <laughs> you and you're me not, both. You're not old enough to, to remember those Pistons championship teams, are you? What was that, 88 and 89? Yeah, so back to back, 89 90. So I was actually born in. Uh, I was born January of 89, so I don't remember those. I was alive for them, but uh, I was I was knee-high to a grasshopper, as they say. So I was, uh, I, was not, uh, I was not cheering for the Pistons back in that day. Did, now, did they get a title 08, or did they lose the finals? I'm trying to remember. They, so the, the Pistons won the title in 04. They beat the Lakers. Four, that was that sorry, fact. Okay. Lakers team with Carl Malone and Gary Payton when they went out and got those guys at the end of their career. That was at the beginning or the middle rather of seven straight trips to the Eastern Conference Finals. I want to say they went to the finals three years in a row, lost to San Antonio twice, beat the Lakers once, um, and then LeBron James, his coming out party was the 07-08 season when he beat the Pistons, and that was the last trip uh, for the Pistons to the Eastern Conference Finals back in 08. So seven straight years of the Conference Finals, three trips to the NBA Finals, and they come away with one championship. Yeah, I, for, I forgot they had that good run where they were Apparently yeah. going deep into the play. I'm just looking at it. Yeah, they got swept by the Nets one year. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Lost to the Heat in six, lost to the Cavs in six, lost to the Celtics in six and 08. So, yeah, they were always going 
deep, but uh, yeah, you're right. Yeah, they get interesting because like that's a great era. But you as a fan are kind of looking back on it like, well, only one championship, right? Still, sort of what might have been. Well, and for me too. I mean, that was we we talk about our youth, right? So I would have been, you know, junior, senior, high school, sixteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen. So that that is one of those early sports memories that I can remember, you know, everything about. You know, I, I remember growing up as an Oilers fan. I remember that trip in '06 to the Cup final against Carolina, and I remember some of those teams. But you go back to the late '90s and, and all of that. You remember bits and pieces of of championships and of things but when you're a teenager you're 13 14 15 years old you you really have those first concrete memories of of everything that happened so that's why that era uh, of pistons basketball was so special to me because i i remember everything that happened for those uh for those seven years yeah, that's a great way to put it, right? Like, I, I find, uh, even though I, I, I work in sports and I cover sports, sometimes my memories yeah. of things that happen between, like, the ages of about 12 and 21 stand out a little bit more for whatever reason because oh, yeah. you, you're starting to process it more sort of with a mature brain and understanding the sport and how hard it is to win. So I got to ask you this, as, and I will get to Seattle, but I love hearing your stories, and you've told that your story, you know, before how, how you were an Oilers yeah. fan, grew up in Detroit, but what's your relationship with the Detroit lions then? Because when you would have been in that age group that you were just talking about, like they stunk uh, yeah. <laughs> with the Pistons. No, like- they did. My, my, my relationship with the Detroit lions is that you forced two of the greatest players at their position and Barry Sanders at running back Calvin Johnson at ride receiver. You forced both of those players to retire in their prime you were so bad that these guys said you know what i'm going to leave however many millions on the table i could ask for a trade somewhere else i could stick around and and hope that uh, things get better in detroit but you know what i i'm just done i'm gonna give it up so my my relationship with the lions has always been a love-hate relationship but at this point, I mean, you have to stick with it because when and not if, when the Lions do finally get over that hump and, and they get to the promised land where they can they can win a playoff game, let alone a championship, the Lions have one playoff win, I believe, one playoff win since Vietnam. 1967 was the last playoff win for the Detroit Lions. I'm 33 years old, and they've been to the playoffs nine times in my lifetime and their last playoff win was when i was two back in 91 i believe yeah 91 over the cowboys yeah jeez yeah so that that was it that was it man (laughs) yeah that's uh well you know there's tough years uh in edmonton with with the oilers but yeah Yeah. lions i mean the oilers never went 0 and 82 the lions did go 0 and 16 one year uh you're in seattle now so yesterday um we're like and i know you guys you guys had a game last night the jets won in overtime but like did that that was a 6 30 a.m game for seahawks fans to, to watch yeah. the uh the game in germany right people were up i, I tell you what reed I, I, people were up and watching uh my uh i've got a got a five-month-old boy and he was uh he was my alarm clock so i was actually unplanned uh unintentionally awake watching some of that game at 6.30. But I tell you what, I was thumbing through social media on Twitter and, and people were watching that game. And um, I mean, this these Seahawks fans are, are probably one of, if not the most diehard fan base I've ever seen in terms
terms of just how much they invest uh, in in their football team. And, you know, they, they made the Super Bowl a handful of years ago, but even since then, they continue to watch bars. There was a couple of bars that were open early at uh, 6.30, and, and they were packed from what I've seen, some of the pictures that I saw. So um, it, was, it was a sight, that's for sure, here in, in Seattle of folks just up early watching that game. Yeah, yeah, I was. Uh, it was pretty. Fun. I, I got up and watched because I like the Seahawks. They, they weren't able to get the yeah. win, unfortunately. But uh, yeah, it was kind of a fun atmosphere seeing it in that stadium as well. Okay, so let's uh, let's get the. Uh, thanks for the stories, man. But let's let's talk about the hockey um, because the <laughs> Oilers. Yes, it is early, but they are they are chasing the Seattle Kraken, who, uh, like I said, you know, eight five and three. They're third in the division. Uh, they had a nice winning streak earlier. Uh, what do you credit it to so far? What's been clicking for the team? You know, it's it's going to sound very cliche, but it's it truly is a complete buy-in from the entire group in terms of of the vision, in terms of playing a certain way. Um, the Kraken last season uh, were were one of the hardest teams to play against in the NHL. Talked to a number of coaches, broadcasters around the league, and and even though the results weren't there, the, the Kraken was, were going to make you work, and that was probably the most frustrating thing about the team last year is, is they would put 110% effort every single night but they only came away with 26 wins at the end of the season so that can be very frustrating I think this season you you have that same hard working mentality this team four checks harder than any team that I've seen in a long time but I think the big key is the additions uh, you bring in Andre Burakovsky who has a championship mentality uh, coming off of a cup last year with Colorado um, Oliver Bjorkstrand who yes only has one goal that he scored in the season opener uh, but his 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 offensive creation ability is something the Kraken didn't have last year and then of course Matty Beneers I mean when you add a, a bona fide first line top line center um on on most nhl teams right out of the out of the gate it really goes a long way to to help you uh turn the page from last season so i think there's a lot of those factors that have gone into the success that the kraken have had but uh, a large part of it has just been that full team buy-in and now you have those offensive pieces that you didn't have a season ago uh, well, you mentioned Meniers, and I mean, I mean, they got Shane Wright too, right? So, uh, but what's because his what's his status? He hasn't played every game, right? Are they still talking about maybe yeah. sending him down? What's the latest there? So Shane Wright, I mean, no, nothing has been communicated officially, but it's all been, you know, the, the plan is to keep him here all all year for the Kraken. And you know, I've I've, I've answered this question before, and and when you when you look at it on the surface, I, I can understand the frustration from the fan base. Well, here's the number four overall pick. Why isn't this guy playing? But you have to realize, playing games when you're in the NHL. Playing games is is really thirty percent of your job, right? The other seventy percent is is video, it's practice, it's hitting the weights, it's eating right, it's learning how to be an NHLer, it's learning how to be a pro. And and even though he might not be in every game, as cliche as it sounds, he has that first uh, first on last off mentality in practice. Actually, last week um, before the Kraken played um, Minnesota on Friday, uh, the Zamboni had to chase. 
Shane Wright off the ice. He was he was out there for another 30 minutes after the bag skate was done, just working on things. So he understands, you know, that he still needs to work and he still needs to to improve in certain areas. But um, you know, he he's going to be getting into to a handful of more games here. Um, the plan has always been, like I said, to keep him here uh, for the season. Now, what Ron Francis and the rest of the management staff, what they're thinking and discussing internally, um, you know, that obviously could change. Uh, but he hasn't hit that nine-game threshold yet, so he still has some time uh, there. But his, but he is making progress, and and he is every day um, in in talking to our coaching staff and, and a few of the other guys in the locker room. He is he is doing all of the right things necessary to turn him into and make him an everyday NHLer. Okay. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to watch. So how, I mean, you, like you said, you, you, the team works hard. They got some key additions. Uh, I just double-checked uh, Jordan Everly's stats, the former Oiler. Yeah. He's having a decent season so far. Uh, but but it is a long year, and teams like Edmonton and, and, and like Calgary are expected to come on. Um, has this raised expectations in Seattle for you? Or are you still thinking like, hey, let's not just think about playoffs. Let's just see how long they can hang around and then maybe. What, where's, where's your head at now? I think I think my head. If you're asking, you know, me personally, I think this is a team that has surprised some folks early, um, and I think the, the the expectations maybe be changing on the fly. You know, I, I think coming into the season, a lot of people were saying, you know, as long as this team is playing meaningful games late in the year, that would be a successful season. Last year, the Kraken got behind the eight ball early. Um, and and the last meaningful game was probably, I mean, if I'm being blunt and honest, probably before Christmas. If mm-hmm. you can play meaningful games in February after the All-Star break, you're sitting six, eight points out of a playoff spot. Yeah, it, it's, it's, a, it's a tough hill to climb, but you're within spitting distance of a playoff spot. I think that would be uh, considered success. But now that the Kraken have been having this early season success, and I think Yanni Gore, at the end of the year last year said it best when asked in his media avail what's the one thing that he wishes would have went differently for the Seattle Kraken and he said I wish we would have won more games early in the season because that changes the whole way and your mentality that you play the rest of the year well now the Kraken are three games above 500 they're winning more games early in the season they're playing better earlier in the season so now I think that that uh, um, bar of hey let's just play meaningful games I think that might be moving to let's see if we can contend for a wild card spot let's see if we can maybe get that second wild card spot in our second year now again a lot can happen we're only through 14 15 games so I mean the injury bug is undoubtedly going to hit here at some point Um, you mentioned it before Calgary Edmonton LA uh, these teams are all going to come on I will be the first one to admit I did not see Vegas having the year that they're having but they seem to be the class of the division at least for right now you know a lot of things can still happen but I think right now for me it still is is going to be meaningful games later in the season and if come March uh, trade deadline time the Kraken are Hey, we're we're staring down that second wild card spot. I think I think things will be very interesting here in Seattle, and I think you're going to be talking about, you know, this is what makes a successful second season. 
Yeah, yeah, for sure. No, a really interesting start to the year for them. And uh, I know we don't see them till December 30th. Yeah, yeah December, December, 30th. Oh, then December they... 30th, and then we're back two weeks later. It's a, We have a two-week trip out east. We come back home uh, after playing Chicago on a Saturday. We have a Monday afternoon game against the Lightning, and then we hop on the plane and play a Tuesday night game in Edmonton. So that's going to be a tough little stretch there. Yeah, start of January. Okay, interesting. All right. Hey, Everett, I, I love having you on the show. I always appreciate your perspective and uh, the tales that you can tell about uh, other parts of your life, too. Thanks so much for hopping on, man. We'll see you soon. Hey, sorry. I, I took a lot of the time in the beginning on the Pistons talk. I'll keep it to oh, a that was hockey, fun. Uh, specific <laughs> next time. <laughs> oh, that was fun. I like hearing about people's passions. We'll see you soon. Yeah, we'll talk to you, Reed. Thanks. Everett Fitzhugh, one of the good guys in the game for sure, play-by-play voice for the Seattle Kraken, who are ahead of the Edmonton Oilers by one point for third place in the Pacific Division standings. All right, uh, how's it going for the undefeated Eagles? Inside Sports on Chet. Subscribe to the Inside Sports Podcast. Available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you find your podcasts. This is 630 Chad Inside Sports. Where do you find your podcasts? I mean, that guy makes them sound like they can just be anywhere. Let's get a couple more on our world-famous off-topic topic. Today's question, if Edmonton were to host the Olympics, what would the mascot be and also a name for the mascot if you have one? We've had some beauties coming in tonight, Kellen. <laughs> we have, for sure. Uh, unknown text comes in and says, just simply, simply says, the magpie. So lots oh. of magpies in the egg. The, could the, be there magpie. are. Yeah, the, the magpies like to hang out in my yard for sure. Mm-hmm. And in mine as well. So <laughs> uh, Dino Bambino also says it would be a walking strip mall. You could call it Molly, the walking strip mall. Mall? <laughs> oh, that's pretty good, actually. Yeah, we need some sort of a mall thing. That's pretty good. All right. Well, that was fun, guys. I think I still like... Uh, Ballsy, the talus ball. Yeah, that's actually the photo radar camera. That's the, the that's a winner but, for me for sure. But but we had some pretty uh, fun suggestions. We we had an interesting story earlier. Uh, Jed Roberts, double E alum, Great Cup week, nineteen ninety six. Yeah, we lost three guys that that week, and because uh, we were partying um, the first couple of days. It's the first day or two, you know, guys go all out, and then, then people start to kind of tone it down as the week goes by. But, you know, if you go super, super hard the first day and you get alcohol poisoning, well, <laughs> can't just come right out of that, right? So uh, we had a couple of guys, you know, it was like, quote, unquote, flu, but it was alcohol poisoning. And, uh, you know, they really affected those guys, and they weren't their best on game day. We could have used them, you know. In a game like that where everything's on the line and the ball's going back and forth, touchdowns, every other, you know, that was one of the greatest great cups ever we ever played in, but there's a lot of stuff behind the scenes that contributed to us being on the losing end. So, A little bit from, uh, from Jed Roberts. Always gives us something when he's on the show. Halfway through the second period, Flames lead the Kings 5-2. Hurricanes up 2-0 in Chicago. No score after one. Blues and Avalanche. Earlier, Islanders beat the Senators 4-2. Second half just underway. Monday Night Football, Washington 20 Philly 14, Eagles have an 8-0 record on the line, and the Raptors beat the Pistons 115-111. Oilers back at practice tomorrow. They're going to host the Kings on Wednesday, 6 o'clock face-off show game at 8 o'clock right here on 6.30. Chad, thanks to Dave Campbell. He's the producer of Inside Sports. Kellen Kennedy, your studio producer this evening. My name's Reed. Thanks for listening. Have a great night. 